Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 30. Page 24 in the Blue Pew Bible, Genesis 30. We'll be looking at the second half of the chapter. hear God's holy word, beginning in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you uh, wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats And black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, 
and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Kind of a strange passage there at the end, isn't it? We're continuing to study the, the life of Jacob in Genesis 30 here, and, and beginning in verse 25, we see Jacob beginning to increase. The Lord is really beginning to prosper him. What we really see here is God's providence on display in Jacob's life. Uh, it really is all God's doing, what we see unfolding here. Um, God's good providence. Providence is God's taking care of his creation. Uh, that's really the sum of it. He's taking care continually of the world he has made and especially his people. God causes all things to work for the good of those who love him. And he does that by ordering all things toward that end and toward his glory by his providence. He guides us, he protects us, he provides for us. And his providence encompasses everything in our lives, right down to the very details. Now, we might not always be comfortable with God's providence and what he's doing in our lives or in the lives of others. Jacob certainly wasn't. He's had a lot of things that he would have liked to have changed. There's one thing that we can be sure of. If you belong to Christ, God is ordering all things in your life for his glory and for your greatest good and to make you a blessing to others. His providence may seem very mysterious at times and even uh, very hard to bear sometimes, but he is good and he is wise. And in the end, we will see the goodness and beauty of his plan that he's working out by his providence. The familiar hymn says, The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And that's true. God's providence at times may seem bitter to our taste, but the end, the outcome, will be sweet indeed. We see that in Jacob's life. God's working on him. God is pruning him, molding him, shaping him, into a, a very different person than he started out as. He's forming him to be a man of faith, a man who uh, is learning to be an honest man, a man who 
comes to hate his sin. He was a real rascal uh, when we saw him in the beginning. And uh, he's still not, uh, not perfect. He's far from perfect, as we see here uh, in this passage today. Of course, God was doing much more than just a work in Jacob's life. Uh, his work in Jacob had uh, further, uh, far, far-reaching consequences. It wasn't all about Jacob. You know, we tend to get ourselves focused on uh, what, what, uh, what's happening to us, and we think it's all about us. And uh, if it hurts, we, we, uh, we think it's just all, all about me. Woe is me. But God is doing a work that is beyond just us. And that was the case with Jacob's life. The Lord's doing this work in Jacob, but it's going to have a profound impact on the people around him, Leah, Rachel, even Laban, and future generations. God is building his church, even, through all this. Remember that whatever God is doing in your life, it's not just about you. It's bigger. It's much bigger. It's going to have an impact on the people around you. It's going to have an impact on how you can minister to others and be a blessing to others uh, in ways that you don't even understand, in ways that you couldn't be a blessing if you had not gone through that thing that God is working on in your life. Think of suffering. Who can help someone who's suffering better than someone who's suffered through those very things? God certainly wants to use his people in that way. So just remember to think big. God has bigger plans in mind as he does his work of grace in your life. It's really all about him and his glory and the work that he wants to do in you and through you. We look at this passage beginning in verse 25. We see again how God is graciously prospering Jacob even while Laban is fighting against that. Laban's doing everything he can to prevent Jacob from prospering. And yet God brings it about nonetheless. Jacob's been serving Laban for 14 years or so, and he still has very little to show for it. He had his family, of course. He has two wives and these children, but very little in the way of possessions of his own. And he wants to be done with serving Laban. He wants to go home, and he says so. He's had enough of living as Laban's servant, profiting him. And so after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away so that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you that I may go. He says, Laban, look, I've worked hard for you. I've done everything you've asked. I've given you 14 of the best years of my life in your service, but now it's time for me to go, to go back to my family, to my homeland. But Laban doesn't want that. 
And Laban's looking out for himself here. He knew that he'd been greatly blessed because of Jacob, and he didn't want to lose that. So he tries to get Jacob to stay for that reason. He says, name your, name your wages and I will pay them. Now, this isn't just fatherly love. Uh, it's business. Laban's a shrewd businessman. And he knew that losing Jacob would be a huge loss for his business. Jacob has made him rich. He has prospered greatly, as uh, is explained in verses 29 and 30. The Lord has been blessing Jacob and everything he did, and Laban has uh, gotten rich because of that. He knows it. One writer says, Laban is like uh, Scrooge. He's shrewd enough here to know that the way to keep the money coming is to keep Jacob working for him. He doesn't want to let him go. So he says, Jacob, please stay. Name your wages. But Jacob doesn't want to continue serving Laban. At least not the way it was, not the way it had been. So he proposes another plan, a plan that seemed good to Laban. It was kind of an offer Laban couldn't refuse. Jacob says, if you'll do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. And he proposes this plan. Let me pass through your flock today and take out every speckled and spotted sheep and the black lambs and the speckled and spotted among the goats. They will be my wages. Everyone that's not speckled and spotted among them and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be counted as stolen. So Jacob offers this deal, and we, we may not grasp it uh, when we first read it, but this is actually a really bad deal for Jacob. I mean, unless the Lord completely turns things around, this is going to be a bad deal for Jacob and a really good deal for Laban. Because normally, uh, the shepherd would get a much better deal than this. The shepherd would get 20% of the flock as payment for the work of shepherding. And he'd also get a portion of the wool and of the, uh, the milk products that came from these animals. And Jacob doesn't ask for any of that. He forfeited all that. All he wants are the inferior the animals that were considered inferior, the speckled and spotted ones, the black sheep. Most of the sheep would have been white. And goats were usually um, black or brown, rarely spotted or speckled. So, in other words, most of these animals would have been Laban's. And just a few oddballs would have been Jacob's. And Laban couldn't believe what he was hearing. This just sounded like too good to be true, this deal. What a deal this was for him. And so he jumps at it. Of course, he agreed to this. He clearly thinks he's gotten the better end of the deal. But that wasn't enough for him. He agrees to it, but then he takes additional steps to make sure that everything works out in his favor. 
and not in Jacob's favor. And he did three things. We're told he removed all the male goats that were uh, streaked or spotted and all the speckled and spotted female goats and the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Now, this was, this was not kind. He's doing everything he can to hinder Jacob here. And furthermore, Jacob had said that he would take these animals himself. But Laban shows here that he doesn't trust Jacob, to be honest, and to do right by him. And so Laban did it himself to ensure that uh, those speckled and spotted animals could not breed with the other animals and produce more of their kind. And now that the animals are separated, Laban's uh, grade A animals, livestock, would be much less likely to give birth to any spotted, speckled animals that would go to Jacob. The real point here is this is an insult on Laban's part. Laban shows no trust in Jacob. It's basically a slap in the face of Jacob. It's like saying, I don't believe that you're an honest person. I have to do this myself. Not only that, then he gives the animals, puts them in the charge of his own sons. Doesn't trust Jacob to even care for those animals. Doesn't want him doing anything. He doesn't want him to be able to, um, to pull anything over on him. So he won't even let him watch these animals. So now Laban's sons are in control of, of all these animals, and they're going to report back to Laban. Again, this is a a further insult to Jacob. Jacob must have been very disappointed to be treated like this. And Laban did something else. That wasn't enough. He sends his sons on a three days journey with these animals away from the rest of Laban's animals. Now this just looks like downright paranoia. Laban is, uh, is paranoid that Jacob's going to try to breed somehow Uh, his speckled and spotted animals with Laban's animals so that his flocks will be built up more. Well, it's going to be impossible with a three days journey between those animals. But how sad to see Laban acting like this, treating his very own son-in-law like this. He's convinced that Jacob is going to try to cheat him, going to try to wrong him. It's very insulting. And the funny thing is, just a few verses back, Laban realized that God had blessed and prospered his flocks because of Jacob. God's blessing was upon Jacob. Now he thinks Jacob is going to have to cheat in order to prosper. And so he's going to do everything he can to prevent that. He does not want Jacob to do well at all. He wants him to be um, weak and have nothing. And that's so sad. You'd think Laban 
would want to help out his son-in-law, help out his daughters. This is the, the father of his grandchildren. But no, he wants Jacob to fail. What a guy. He wants it all for himself. Well, God blesses Jacob despite all these bad things that Laban did. God's providence was at work and working good for Jacob. And actually, he blesses Jacob despite what Jacob does next. Jacob uh, isn't uh, a bright, shining example here in this passage either. This seems to be a very superstitious practice that uh, Jacob's employing here. Uh, this is sort of doing his little scheming again, peeling the bark off of these trees, uh, these tree branches to make stripes in them. That is a very strange thing, isn't it? Um, and he puts these sticks in front of the animals because it was believed that uh, this would change the way the animals reproduced. One commentator, Derek Kidner, writes, in displaying these striped rods at breeding time, Jacob was acting on the common belief that a vivid sight during conception would leave its mark on the embryo of the animal. Apparently, they really believed that they could manipulate the kind of offspring that would come from these animals. Jacob believed this, and he did this. He's trying to manipulate the birth of these animals with these striped sticks so that he can get more of his striped and spotted livestock to be born. Sounds crazy to us, but it was apparently the common, common held belief back then. And Jacob did this, and and Jacob had success. Sure enough, those speckled and spotted and uh, striped offspring came forth and were born in droves. But now the Bible isn't telling us here that this superstition worked. No, it didn't. God worked. God was the one working by his providence, despite Jacob's scheming and superstition. And it wasn't superstition that, that brought about this good result at all. It was the Lord. The Lord was intent on blessing Jacob. The Lord caused Jacob to prosper. These animals did produce many, many striped and spotted babies and Jacob soon had large flocks as a result. He was soon very prosperous and rich. But it was all God's doing. He had blessed Jacob. It was the Lord. Despite Jacob's faithlessness, despite his thinking that he had to uh, employ these strange tactics and methods, it was really kind of godless thinking. Jacob, in, in, uh, in reality here, he's still up to his old ways of trying to manipulate things to his own advantage. Well, what should he have done? Well, he should have just 
done his work in an honest way and waited upon the Lord, trusting the Lord to work by his providence to take care of him and to bless him. And the Lord did that very graciously. Now think about these striped sticks for a moment. These really, these striped sticks, this whole method he's trying to employ, it's a lot like Rachel's use of the mandrakes. And those mandrakes, you remember, she wanted those because it was a commonly held belief that they would increase fertility. She wanted babies desperately. Well, the mandrakes didn't produce fertility, and neither did these sticks do what they were thought to do. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who opened Rachel's womb finally, and it was the Lord who blessed Jacob's flocks, despite Laban's crazy efforts to stop it, and despite Jacob's faithlessness and superstition. The Lord was showing himself to be gracious and faithful to his promises. He was prospering Jacob in keeping with his word of promise. So verse 43 says, God blessed Jacob with great wealth. And he did. He had really had nothing before, but now he's got great wealth, large flocks, We're told he's got camels and donkeys and servants. And uh, the mention of camels means serious wealth. Abraham had camels. Having camels was kind of like, in our day, these people who've got their own private jets or yachts. I mean, that's the super wealthy. And that's where Jacob was at here. He's greatly blessed. He's very wealthy. And God had done this. But look at what happens to Laban. Laban has dwindled. His wealth has dwindled. Compared to Jacob, he's now relatively poor, Laban is. How fitting that is. Everything he tried to do to manipulate things to his own advantage has backfired in God's providence. But for Jacob, the dream that he had back at Bethel was coming true. God's promises were being fulfilled. And way beyond what Jacob even thought to ask the Lord for. I don't know if you remember, but back there in Genesis 28, Jacob said... uh, said some pretty meager things in what he was hoping the Lord would do for him. He said, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I will return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Boy, he was barely asking for anything there. God's gone way beyond his meager, measly expectations and hopes. Not only did Jacob have food and drink and clothing, but he had 
wives and children, and he was super rich. He was becoming a people now. God was keeping his promise to bless Jacob's descendants and make them as numerous as the dust of the earth. Jacob sees the beginning of that now. He sees it in his children. And again, this is God. God working. God fulfilling his promises. Even those old promises that he made to Abraham, he's fulfilling them now through Jacob and for him. What was God teaching Jacob? And the people of Israel who were reading this in the book of Genesis when Moses wrote it. And what is he teaching us through this? Well, he's teaching us that he and he alone is the source of all blessing in our lives. And he wants us to know that he is faithful to his word. His blessing isn't even so much in response to Jacob's prayers or his good works. It's simply God keeping his word. God is faithful to fulfill what he has promised. And he wants us to be assured of that. He will always keep his word that he has spoken. And the good news of the gospel is that God has kept this very same promise that he made to Abraham. And then he passed them on to Isaac and to Jacob and down through the history of Israel. He has kept that word. He has kept his promises ultimately in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. And now he's continuing to bring those promises to fulfillment, even in our day, as he builds his church, as he spreads it all throughout the world, through the gospel, through the spreading of the word of promise in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. If we're believers in Christ today, we are here because of God's faithfulness to keep his word. This is all the Lord's doing. We need to know that the church is not built by schemes and methods that people devise. God is the one who gives his blessing. God is the one who makes the church to grow and to flourish. In fact, he often does it despite our own foolish ideas and failures. God's blessing is paramount. It's everything. We need God's blessing. We need to seek him for it in our personal lives, in our families, and for the church. We need to seek him for that blessing, and we need to thank him for it. Again, that's true. Whether we're talking about uh, 
the church in the world, our local church, or our own personal lives, families. God is the source of every blessing. And we need to look to him and him alone for that blessing. You know, there are many times when you may uh, look at your life and not know what in the world God is doing in his providence. You'll look at the way things have unfolded and you may think it just seems like chaos. Lots of bad things, trials, grief, losses, illness, conflicts. Those are the things that um, fill the lives of God's people. Many trials, many troubles. And we don't understand what God is doing with these things very often. But these things are true and to be relied upon. You can count on these things. God is always good. And he really does work all things together for your good as his child. His love for you is real and it endures forever. Despite your sin, his providence is always unfolding, causing all things to work for your salvation and for his glory. And he's prospering you with every spiritual blessing. And he's drawing you closer to himself, even through those hard things, sometimes especially through those hard things. And that is the very, uh, the very best thing that could happen to us, that the Lord would draw us near to himself. And he'll keep doing that until he brings you all the way home to himself in the heavenly promised land. We have a great, good, loving God and Savior. Always believe that and trust in him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect providence and your perfect faithfulness. We thank you how you have cared for your people all down through the ages. And we see that you have blessed us in our path as well. We trust in you for the future, Lord. We ask you to help us to live by faith. Help us to walk by faith all our days trusting in you. And above all, Lord, we thank you for your Son, who is the source of every spiritual blessing for us. We ask you to strengthen our faith in him. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.